We're so thankful. There's no way we can ever tell you enough, Natalie and I and our boys, how grateful we are for Charles River, for the friendship that you guys have shown us, the, the prayers that you've prayed for us, with us. And um, it's been good. Like we had breakfast yesterday with, or lunch yesterday with a couple of friends, and they were like, how has this been a hard transition? And uh, if you know our story, we started a church in, uh, for artists and creatives in South Carolina about nine years ago. We didn't know anybody in South Carolina. We didn't know anybody where we were. And it was really tough emotionally, uh, especially on Natalie. And uh, so that was only an hour and a half from where we had, had spent um, the six years before that. But man, that was infinitely tough. This has been so easy. This has been an experience for us of finding out that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so much of that is because of you. And we're so grateful uh, for your prayers and your friendship and your encouragement. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to, to Luke 18. Uh, we're doing a series this summer called With Jesus, and, and Pastor Josh and Pastor Kevin and uh, Brian Owen have preached different sermons that uh, just talking about things we can do with Jesus. And I love the idea because if we've learned anything in the seven months of living here, it's that Boston uh, has four seasons, and just like there are four seasons, there are seasons of life here. And uh, it's not like that in the South, like you've got summer, pre-summer, and like post-summer. And those, it feels like, are the seasons most of the time. And so uh, everything works on a rhythm. And it seems like in summer, you know, the college students, are uh, most of them are gone, and people are traveling. And so many of our Boston friends, we see pictures of them down at the Cape, and, or like out west, or in the mountains, or at beaches, somewhere else. Like, and so the nice thing about this series is, if you miss a Sunday, you can just listen to a podcast and Not only do you get to hear the Word of God, but you also, at the very end, get to hear something very practical that you can do in your personal relationship uh, with Jesus as you walk with Him, maybe even be in a way. Um, So I want to start today just telling you a story, kind of a a, a little bit of a backstory of our journey to get here. In March of 2016, Natalie and the boys and I came up on Noah's spring break, and we were really praying about, um, we'd been asked to consider joining, um, like, joining our life into what God was doing here in New England. We weren't going to, no, nobody ever brings God anywhere. You know what I mean? Like we're never bringing the Holy Spirit or bringing the kingdom of Jesus somewhere. God's Spirit is everywhere and he goes way before us. So at best, he's just inviting us into what he's already doing in the world and in Boston and in your uh, corner of your world. And so we'd been invited to come up here and consider relocating our lives to New England. And so we were looking in particular at two different neighborhoods. One was Pawtucket, Rhode Island, uh, which my son Owen, who loves Transformers, is probably a little sad that we didn't go to Pawtucket because that's the headquarters of Hasbro, we come to find out. And he would, he would love to know that we were living where Transformers were being made. And when we went to Pawtucket for the first time, we, we stood there at the, the little river that runs through Pawtucket, and there's a Red Sox minor league team, and there's an arts community. And it really, Pawtucket was uh, very similar to what we had done in Greenville. So similar and uh, specifically that there's a river running through downtown Greenville. There's an arts community. There's a minor league baseball team of the Red Sox. And I felt really comfortable in Pawtucket. In fact, that night after we had seen it, I woke up at 3.30 a.m. and felt like I can plant the church in Pawtucket. I know what I'm doing. God has uh, given us the last eight years so that I can do this. And then I went to bed. And the next day we went with David Butler over to Charlestown and guys, I'm not going to lie to you, I have never felt so small and insignificant and scared in my life as I felt standing at Bunker Hill 
considering God calling us to come and plant our lives in Charlestown, it felt like really big league to me, and it was very spiritually intimidating. And that night, we were with David and Gail Butler, and and Gail was talking with Natalie, and we were processing through all of this, feeling like, man, we can plant this church in Pawtucket. We can do this. And then sharing what we had felt when we saw Charlestown. And Gail said something to Natalie that, until the day I die, I'll remember it. She said, hey, maybe instead of you doing something that you can take the credit for, God wants to do something that only he can take the credit for. Whew. You know what I mean? Man, you ever think about that? Like, that, that stuck with me. Don't we all want that? Don't we want our lives to be marked by God doing things that only He can take the credit for, rather than us doing something for Him, Him doing something in us and through us? Maybe in your walk with God, you want your relationship with God to be marked by Him doing things only He can take the credit for. Maybe in your relationships, in your marriage, or with your family, or with your, with your kids, don't you want... Uh, you know, we've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and I pray all the time for God to do big things in their life. I want God to do things that we could never as parents take credit for, kingdom-sized things. Maybe at, at Charles River Church, like, are we expecting God and hoping God to do things that cannot possibly be engineered by human hands? Uh, certainly in Boston. I love going down and Sorry, we're getting a long runway, but there's things I just got to get out this morning, right? I love going down to Boston and standing at the Sam, uh, Samuel Adams statue right there at Faneuil Hall. My favorite quote by Samuel Adams says this. He says, it doesn't take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate and tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. Man, and that's what I want the church to do just to be tirelessly pursuing God and his work in this city and seeing God light brush fires of freedom into the minds and hearts of men because of the gospel of Jesus. We could never take credit for that. And we see in scripture all the time God doing things that no one can take credit for other than God, Jesus. Uh, The people get so angry with Jesus because he's, in one sense, he's sort of claiming to be God, but even more, he's showing that he's God with his actions, and they're mad that he's claiming to be God, but the one thing that they can't ever refute is the fact that he's doing things that only God can do. And we read in Acts the same story of God doing things that people could never take credit for. And if we go to the Old Testament, we we read the stories of Elijah and Moses and David and other people who are seeing God do things that only he can take the credit for. And we want our lives to look like that, stuff only God can take the credit for. But like, here's, here's the crux for me, and I don't know if it's like this for you. I find myself sometimes saying, God, am I asking you in hope and an expectation to do things that only you can get the credit for. The one big thing that I'm learning living in Boston, if God doesn't show up in our life in every single way, then this fails. It fails. It doesn't come together if Jesus shows up, if Jesus doesn't show up. And so are our lives, in our lives, are we asking God, are we actually asking him to do things that only he can take credit for? And so today, the the title of the sermon as we go through this With Jesus series would be Praying with Jesus. And in in saying praying with Jesus, I want to point to two things. One, I mean, praying alongside Jesus. It must have been pretty special to be one of the disciples who even come to him in Luke 11 and in Matthew, I think, chapter 6, if I were 5, one of those two. And they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. 
And so we're coming alongside Jesus and learning to pray, uh, learning from Jesus how to pray. We can, if, if we want to know how to pray like Jesus, we go to Scripture, we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, and we read those and we see Jesus praying and we're learning to pray with Jesus. The other thing is, and, he, and probably even more powerfully when I say praying with Jesus, is learning to align my heart and my requests with His heart and His power. Man, so many times in my life, I'm 39 years old, so many times in my life, I've prayed things without really trying to get God's perspective. And when I say praying with Jesus today, I mean like that we literally slow down and begin to get our heartbeat and rhythm with his heartbeat. So when we're praying, we're just praying the overflow of what he's already saying. We don't have to wonder, oh, is this God's will? Is that God's will? We're walking in step with his will and we understand his heart. And so... We're asking God to do only things he can take credit for and only he can do. And I'm going to make a confession to you. Like, again, I'm 39 years old. I've been walking with Jesus. I've been a Christian, a Christ follower for 30 years. And the majority of my Christian faith has been marked by good done for God rather than, uh, and not enough like prayer and dependence and waiting and persevering for my life to be marked by the best done by God. Let me say it again. So much of my life has been marked by good done for God rather than sitting and waiting and asking God to do stuff so that I get the best done by God. And I think the, the spirit-empowered life, the life truly guided by the word of God is a life where we're waiting on the Lord to do the very best rather than trying to do something for him. And so with that said, let's read uh, Luke 18. Now, Pastor Josh and, and Brian and Kevin did a, have done a great job like doing narratives, and we see uh, narrative stories in the New Testament, seeing Jesus do stuff. Today, we're going to look at a parable, so I felt like I cheated a little bit on this one, uh, but I hope you'll forgive me. Uh, this is Jesus kind of telling a story. In Luke 18, it says, and it's in the context, Jesus is has been talking with uh, particularly the disciples about his kingdom and when, he, when he's going to return ultimately and set up his kingdom and restore the world. And as, uh, as Tolkien said, he's going to make all the sad things untrue. And Jesus, in the context of talking about returning and setting up his kingdom and like taking everything that's broken and restoring it to like Garden of Eden perfection begins to tell this. And in Luke 18, Luke writes, and he told them a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. Man, that's so good right there, right? We live in such a microwave society. We don't do anything well for the long haul. And Jesus is saying we ought always to pray and don't lose heart. Don't stop asking just because we don't hear immediately. And it says, he said, now in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while the judge refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she won't beat me down by her continual coming. And Jesus said, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this faith on the earth? Will he find this kind of faith 
on the earth. And so Jesus is saying, pray and don't lose heart. Uh, Because I think what he would even say, like we're not talking today primarily about the return of Jesus and him ushering in his kingdom. Like, I think it's a great prayer. I, I think about my granddad. I'll talk more about him in just a moment. He was the one who led me to faith in Jesus. And every time that we would pray, toward the end of his prayers, he would always pray that Jesus would return and that in his lifetime, that he would see the kingdom of Jesus return and all the sad things being made untrue and all the broken stuff kind of come back together. And while Jesus is talking about that, I want to encourage you that if we can trust God with the big ultimate things, then we can also trust him in the immediate things. If we can believe that God is going to take all the broken stuff. I was talking with um, this Muslim couple the other night at the movies at the, we had like a movies at the wharf in Charlestown. And there's this couple uh, that's visiting with their son uh, and daughter uh, from Cotter. And they're here one month a year as he's getting some treatment at the Boston Children's Hospital. And he was talking about the American news and how bad the American news is. And I thought of the phrase in journalism that says, if it bleeds, it leads. And like Jesus is going to take all the bloody and broken things and restore them. He's certainly, if he can be entrusted with that, also going to take the little things of our life that seem maybe small in an eternal perspective. But to us, they're a big deal. You know what I mean? My aunt right now is battling cancer. That's a big deal to me. In the grand scheme of things, it's small. But for my cousins, it's huge. I've got a friend who left his church a week and a half ago, and he was a pastor, and he was removed from that position. In the big scheme of things, that's probably not a big deal. For his family and his teenage children, it's a very uncertain time right now. And God is in the details, and he cares about all of that. And so looking at the parable in verse 2, Jesus talks about this judge who is not a good person. Like, have you ever had to go to court and you're before a judge who is not a good person? Uh, I've had to go to court a couple of times. Uh, This one time, well, I won't tell this story. I had to go to court for, I got in trouble, and um, I was scared to death. And the judge was very gracious. And uh, what I thought I was going to get and really probably deserved, I didn't get all of it. Thank God. Uh, I was I think 18 years old and got a speeding ticket for going really, really fast like dumb teenagers do. And, uh, and this judge was actually very gracious. This guy's not gracious. He's not good. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect and he doesn't care for people. And you know he's like a really evil person because he even says it. You know, I think it's in, right, in verse 4, like he's having this conversation with himself and he's refused. But afterwards he says to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. Yet because she keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so she won't wear me out with her continual coming. Like when somebody's looking in the mirror and like, you know, hey, hey self, I'm a really terrible person and I don't like God and I don't like people. But so she'll like, you know, when you're looking in the mirror saying I'm an evil person, like you're either super self-aware or really, really a bad person. And that's this guy, like he's very self-aware and he's not a good man. And that's him. That's the first character Jesus is talking about. The second one's this widow. And in one sense, I, like, I think I've read this story all of my life, and I hear this story, and I think of one side of her character. And, and the side is that she's tireless, and she's determined, and she's relentless, and she's steady. Like, this lady just seems bold and brave. You know what I mean? When I hear this, I see a very tough woman. But in another sense, what's equally true is that she's been wronged, And because she's a widow, she's very poor, more than likely. 
Uh, and she's overlooked because widows were extremely overlooked and God even had to write into the Old Testament law as we saw in, in the book of Ruth recently. Hey, don't even harvest the corners of your fields. Take care of the widows and the orphans and the aliens among you because they would be so overlooked and God is watching them. But in society, um, in, a, in a society that doesn't fear God and, and follow his word, widows would find themselves totally overlooked and she's powerless and the word that like pulls at my heart, honestly, is that this woman's very vulnerable. And we live in a city, I guess greater Boston, if, I think it's like 5.8 million people, like greater Boston. And a significant portion of our population is very vulnerable. I see it in our neighborhood all the time. Out of the 17,000 people that live in Charlestown, 1,100 units, uh, 1,100 homes in Charlestown are the Bunker Hill Housing Authority, which if you've ever been to Charlestown is very different than most of the rest of Charlestown. And so many of the residents there are immigrants and they're very vulnerable. And a lot of them are like one paycheck away from a lot of trouble. And I see so much of the people I live around in the story of this widow She's very tireless and she's determined, she's persevering, but she's in a position of desperation. And that's the story Jesus uses to compare how we ought to come to, to, come to God. And so this judge, Grant, like he grants her request. I wonder how many days in a row she had to come before he, like for the light bulb goes off and he looks in the mirror and says, I'm going to give this woman what she wants. Like I, I, I read it and I think about that movie Groundhog Day. Does anybody like that movie? Like I love the movie Groundhog Day. It never gets old to me. There's just some fun, really funny scenes. I think Bill Murray is incredibly funny. And I wonder if this judge is feeling like he's living Groundhog Day. Like this woman is going to come every day. And if he's even got kind of, you know, those scenes in Groundhog Day where you get like 20 days of him killing himself like just to see how he's going to end it because he knows he's going to relive the next day again and again and again like I wonder if the judge is like thinking of creative ways to tell this woman no like creative ways just to get her out the door thinking she's finally going to give up and she won't do it like he's living Groundhog Day and she keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And at the end of the parable, Jesus says, Now, when the Son of Man returns, when I come and set up my kingdom, among believers, am I going to find that kind of persevering faith? Is that the kind of faith that's going to mark our life and mark our prayer life and how we communicate with God? You know, one danger uh, when we read a parable is, is to allegorize it so that everything means something and it means exactly what we see in the story. And this story we don't want to allegorize for two reasons. Uh, it's not a perfect picture of God, this story. And this story is not a perfect picture of us. It's actually, I would say, the opposite of God. And this story is the opposite of us. God is nothing like this judge. Uh, if you grew up... Um, you know what's amazing is the South, where I come from, like where I've spent the majority of my life, and the North are not that different. We meet like friends who are kind of lapsed Catholics, and they talk about Catholic guilt all the time, and how there's just this inner sense that no matter what they do, it's never good enough uh, to make God happy and to feel peace with themselves. And the culture that I grew up in is incredibly similar. We're just always kind of looking over our shoulder to wonder, have we made God mad? Have we done something to not measure up? All of those things. There's this innate sense in all of us that uh, apart from an experience with God, that we never do enough to measure up to God. 
And so for so many people, maybe for you sitting here today, Christian or not yet follower of Jesus, maybe there's a sense in you that God is like this judge. And let me encourage you that God is nothing like this judge. Jesus is telling the story to say God's nothing like this. It's more about the faith and persistence of this widow. God is not the judge for a Christian because of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins to be the Lord and, and the boss of our, and the Savior of our lives. We don't, we don't have a relationship with God that's like this judge. We only have a heavenly Father who loves us. And so uh, when we pray, we can remember that God is better than this judge. He's morally better than this judge. He's more responsive than this judge. God is answering faster than this judge does. God is loving and compassionate and gracious in a way that this judge is not. Can I just do a parenthesis real fast and tell you that if your experience of God is that he's angry with you or if you're a Christian that you didn't do enough this week or maybe you know specific things you did this week in rebellion against him or you left off things that you should have done, can I tell you today that God's not mad at you? He only has love for you. Any frustration or anger or punishment that he would have reserved for you, Christian, he poured out on Jesus at the cross And Jesus took all of his wrath and anger and frustration on his back so that when God looks at you, he only now sees the righteousness of Jesus and feels compassion and love and grace towards all of us. And if you're here today and you're a pre-Christian or not yet follower of Jesus, man, can I encourage you that the greatest thing you will ever do this side of eternity is to surrender your life to Jesus and and not try to do something for God, but to just give your life to Jesus and, and enter into relationship with him. So God is morally better. He's more responsive. He's gracious and compassionate. And he's more powerful than this judge. God has infinitely more power than this judge does. So God isn't the judge when we pray. And I want to tell you, secondly, we're not the widows when we pray either. You know, I remember having a small group leaders as a teenager and in college, there became this cliche. Maybe you've used it. I've used it before. Now it just makes me so mad. It's like nails on the chalkboard. They used to always say, man, I'm just one beggar looking for bread. I'm just a beggar looking for bread from God. And there's a sense that that is true. Like, I get it. And I'm, if you've ever said that, like I've said it too, no big deal. Like, that, that's true. We need, we're, we're desperate for the Lord. But in another sense, man, we're not beggars. And we're not widows if we're followers of Jesus. In fact, we're, when we pray, we come as children of the King. So many times when I've prayed, I haven't felt like a child of the King. I've felt guilty and like putting a weight on myself that God wasn't putting on me. But when we come Christian, when you come follower of Christ, been born uh, again by the blood and and the life of Jesus, and when you've been entered into God's family by Jesus' work, you come now as a child of the King. We come as co-heirs with Jesus. Everything that God would give to Jesus, He now gives to us as well as His kids. We come as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Believer, like when you sit down to pray, Jesus isn't over here. The Spirit of Jesus lives in us, and we're the temple. Uh, we're, we're, God, the, we're the temple for God's Spirit living in us, Scripture says, and we have authority, and we can come boldly. We don't have to come, uh, hey God, uh, it's me. 
I've had a bad week. I know you, you saw that thing I did yesterday, and I didn't pray a whole lot. And, um, and God, like, if, if you wouldn't mind, if it's not too much trouble, I know I'm just living up here in Boston, and I know you've got that thing in, like, the Middle East, and you've got all that craziness in Washington, and there's bigger problems, but so, Lord, if, if it's not too much to ask, would you, we don't have to do that. We can come boldly before the throne of Jesus. We're not like the widow. We're nothing like the widow. We can come boldly. And so I think there's two things that this parable is saying. One, so if you're taking notes, here you go. One, God hears you. First thing this parable says is whenever you pray, God hears and he'll answer. God hears every prayer prayed in faith. Pastor Kevin just talked about the Psalms. I love reading the Psalms. There's times, it, because it's, the, it's like the hymn book, right? for God's people 3,000 years ago. It's the hymn book. And yet there are songs in the Psalms that are, I can just, like, sometimes I'll just read them and want to sing them to a melody because it's like, God, smash our enemies' babies' heads on the rocks. Like, I mean, they're angry. Like, God, we've had a hard time. Like, if you could just go ahead and kill our enemies, that would be great. Like, we haven't sung that song in church yet. I'm looking forward to the Sunday where we sing that song. You know, like, God, where are you? I feel like you've abandoned me. And the great thing about the Psalms and the great thing about prayer is we can come to God knowing he hears no matter what emotion we have. So some days we're going to get on our knees and pray and we're going to be joyful and it's going to be worshipful. You ever have a, you ever have a time like that? Maybe it's even in, on Sunday where it's like, the songs are coming alive and you feel like your soul, like your skin is not big enough to hold your soul because God is so awesome. You ever feel like that? Like you're just going to come out of your skin because Jesus is alive and he's not just alive out there, he's alive in you. And man, it's easy to pray in those moments because we're joyful and we're worshipful. But God hears every prayer prayed when we're depressed too. You ever been like really depressed where it felt like uh, there was a cloud over you and it was not going to lift? God, God hears you in that moment as well. You ever been desperate? God hears us when we're desperate. God hears us when we're angry, sometimes even angry at him. The beautiful thing about God is he's big enough to absorb all the emotions of any relationship. There's times where I'm angry at my wife. And there's times where she's angry at me. And our relationship is big enough to sustain those emotions. I want to tell you, whatever season or emotion you're in, God is big enough to sustain the emotions of it. He hears you in all of it. It's not about having the right words. Christianese, like all the church words, are totally unnecessary when we come to God. It's about having a right heart. My granddad would... We would, every night when we would spend the night at his house, he and my grandmother, they would be in their late 60s at, at the time. And I was probably a boy of 10 or 11 or 12 years old. I remember it all the way back to being a little kid. We'd get down uh, on our knees on the, uh, right there at the bed. We would pray every night before we would uh, go to bed. And my granddad would always pray in like King James English. That this is like instinctive for a lot of uh, people who grew up a generation ahead of me. Man, it was so beautiful, and I still can hear my granddad praying those words with the THs on the end of them, you know? And probably 
a few years ago, an arrogant part of me would have said, well, why was he praying like that? Why didn't he just talk? Who cares why he did it? That was how he grew up. And when he was speaking to God in King James English, he was coming before the Lord with a pure heart talking to God. It was sweet. And I'd give anything to have, like, to be able to relive those times, just hear my granddad pray in that King James English. Now, if I did that, it would sound so silly because that's not how I talk. It's not about when we come in prayer, coming with the, the right words. It's about coming before God with an honest and open heart, knowing that God will answer. I want to tell you, like, as an encouragement, God has answered every prayer that you've ever prayed. Some of them he's answered yes, some of them he's answered no, and some of them he said wait. But he's never not heard, and he's never not done something. We can trust and know that he is good, and he has an eternal perspective. The other night we watched, um, we watched highlights of the 2004 ALCS. You know, that was the one where the Red Sox were down. I don't know if you guys remember this one, but that was the one where the Red Sox were down 3-0 to the Yankees, and then they come back and win four games in, in a row in like ultra dramatic fashion until that last game where we just wiped them out and, and stepped on their necks. And I look back now, and I, and I watch it, and it's just so stress-free. You know, I'm like, we're going to win. I know the ending. This is going to be great. I love it. I see Dave Roberts go sliding into second and getting that hand in there, and there's no stress. I remember the moment that happened. I was like thinking I was going to have a heart attack. You know what I mean? Just thinking my heart was going to stop in that moment. Like, this is it. And he gets in there, and then they win that night. And then, you know, the game doesn't end till like 1 a.m. or something ridiculous like that. And six hours later, I'm waking up. Seven hours later, going to work thinking, oh man, I've got to do all this again, like in 12 hours, and my heart can like barely breathe, and then they win that night, and then, you know, I think there was a day off or something like that, maybe while they had to travel, like, no, I guess they had had the rain out, so they play four days in a row, and it's so stressful, and now I look back, and like, it's just pure delight, like, I know he's going to steal the base. I know that uh, he's going to get driven in. I know we're going to win in extra innings. I know Big Poppy's going to hit the walk off the next night. I know we're going to win game six, bloody sock. I know we're going to win game seven. And it's all joy. In the moment, you're like, oh my gosh, are we going to make it? What is going to happen? And so often when we pray, we're praying from that perspective of living in the moment. And I want to tell you that God is God over everything, including time. And he's never in a hurry. And he has an eternal perspective that he's working towards and an eternal plan. And he's answering every prayer, some yes, some no, some wait, all from his perspective for his glory. So we should persist. That's the second thing. One, God hears. Two, we persist in faith and dependence. Christian Christ follower, regardless of your feelings, regardless of how you feel, keep praying. If you feel like your prayers aren't getting past the ceiling, keep praying. If you feel like you've outsinned God's grace, keep praying. If you feel like God has said no to you nine times in a row, keep praying. Keep pushing through regardless of what you feel. Regardless of your performance, keep praying. Regardless of your past, keep praying. No matter where you came from, keep praying. Regardless of what the voices inside your head or inside your heart are telling you, Keep praying, keep praying, keep like that widow coming before the gracious God of the universe. And so I think there would be two objections. Let me address those real fast, and then we'll get to what we're actually going to do with Jesus. One, and, and I've asked these, if God knows 
how the universe is going to like work out, then why pray? That's a great question. And I'm not here today to give all the answers to prayer, but let me just tell you three reasons why I think you should pray. One, because Jesus tells you to do it. And the stuff that Jesus tells us to do, you know what? It's probably a good idea that we do it. Because he can't just be our Savior and not be our Lord. And so when Jesus calls us to do something, we ought to respond in faith and in obedience. The second reason I think we keep praying is because Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. And three, Jesus says that our prayers can move God to action. And I don't even understand that. And we're not even going to begin to get into that today because we'd be here until dinner. But Jesus says that our prayers affect God's heart. And so we ought to pray. The second thing I think that um, would be a very good objection would be somebody saying, hey, God didn't move before when I asked, when I prayed for something. Why should I pray now? And I hear you. And I want to tell you that prayer is not magic. Prayer is not magic. Magic is the ability to do something to make it look like I was in control. And if I can make God do something, then in theory, I am actually God. Because God, by definition, has to be the highest thing, right? Just in the like, most stripped-down way. And so if I can play magic and make God do something, then I am actually God and not Him. And so God is not um, bound to have to do everything that I ask in prayer. I'm not manipulating Him And he's not playing games with me. There's some risk and uncertainty anytime we hit our knees and pray. It's kind of risky. Trusting God's like risky business. I wish I knew how it would all end up, but there is some risk to it. But it is relationship and it's learning dependence. It's living in God's power and it's seeing from his point of view. The crazy thing to me is that God even said no to Jesus. So if you pray for something and God says nope, Understand, but you're not alone. There's a, there are times where Jesus even said, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And the Holy Heavenly Father says, Son, I love you, but this is going to be the way. And Jesus says, Not my will, God, but yours. I'll do it. It's not magic. It's a relationship and learning dependence, getting our heart in line with God's heart. So err on the side of prayer and depending. God hears and will answer. We just persist. So in this series this summer, we're doing an activity at the end where we're all doing something with Jesus. Uh, In the spring, I was given an assignment by Pastor Josh and by Pastor Joe Souza, who's a Portuguese uh, pastor uh, over in Charlestown, actually, leads Celebration Church. These guys are like rock star men of God. If you're visiting today, like, man, we have an awesome pastor here. He's awesome. And so I was given an assignment that went from being work to becoming a delight and it became power, and it became life-transforming for me. And so I want to tell you today that I'm only like four months into doing what the activity that I'm about to ask you to do. But man, it's been some of the sweetest four months of my entire life of 30 years of walking with Jesus. So do we have the, do we, do we get the slide in? Is it in there? Sarah, will you pull up the first one? You're amazing. Thanks. So I want you, uh, if you can write these categories down, I want to encourage, here's the activity, that we would pray through a prayer grid, if you will. And, and here's kind of the grid. Here will be the categories. Mine's a little bit different, but it's really similar to this. And so uh, a, very, a, a very determined way to kind of pray through uh, systematically our prayers would be to have personal requests, requests regarding our family and friends, 
requests um, regarding like community and world impact, and then our church and the kingdom of Jesus, and then a fourth category would be practical and financial because uh, like money matters and how much or how uh, we have or don't have like it really weighs heavier on our hearts than than we sometimes want to admit and God's intimate details and then a fifth category might be other and so I want to encourage you to pray through this now I'm going to show you uh, most of mine if you'll pull up that next slide Sarah so these are the things that every day uh, I try to get down on my knees every single day and pray through these. Sometimes with Natalie, sometimes with my children. Most of the time, it's just by myself. So personal for me would be, and, and a lot of these are rooted in Scripture. Uh, I think we can always pray Scripture. Anything that God tells us to pray, we probably ought to be praying, right? Uh, so here are some of my personal requests. Like I pray every day for intimacy with Christ. That I would know God like the people in the Bible knew Him. That we would be best friends I pray for boldness. I pray for wisdom. The book of James tells us uh, to ask for wisdom. I pray for favor. We've seen God give us favor in Charlestown, and I believe so much of it is just from asking, God, will you give us favor in our community? We pray, I pray every day that God would make me a soul winner, not just a nice guy and not a good pastor, but someone who sees people come to faith in Christ, a prayer warrior. I pray that God would tame my tongue. Even this morning, like to get up here, I'm praying, God, uh, don't let me say anything stupid. You know, like tame my tongue. That's a big struggle of mine. I prayed that I would be in a place of peace and rest. And the Lord, I struggle with anxiety. And so my ultimate prayer is that God would put my soul to rest in who I am in Christ and what Christ has done for me. I pray that I would live out what I'm reading in the Bible. I pray that I would fear God and not people. That's another struggle of mine, the fear of man. And so I have to remind myself over and over that the fear of man ends where the fear of God begins and pray that I would fear the Lord, not people. I pray that I'd be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I wouldn't be doing good things for God, but God would be living his life through me. I think that's incredibly scriptural. I pray that I remember that who I am in Christ is more important than what I do for Christ and that I would steward my health and our resources. Regarding in family and friends, I pray for intimacy with my wife. And I don't just mean sexually, but I do mean sexually as well. Like that's included in that. I pray that our hearts would be in rhythm and we'd be on the same page. I pray for her. I pray for my boys, for their salvation. I pray this every day. Lord Jesus, I pray for Noah, Noah, and I pray that they would grow up to give their life to you. I pray that they uh, would grow up to marry Christian women. And I pray that their influence in this life would be more than our influence for your kingdom. And then I'm praying every day for my boys that the gospel would find soft soil to land in their hearts. And that my job as a parent, as a father, is to help till up that soil. And then I pray that, that, that God would keep them from sin and unnecess- unnecessary sin and harm. I pray for my aunt wrestling with cancer my uncle and their cousins for peace and comfort and for life in her days as she's in the last days of her life. God will answer that prayer ultimately in the next few days. She's going to lose her battle with cancer in this life and win her battle against sin as she steps out into eternity with Jesus. And that's okay. I just pray for God's grace to be very present in their life right now. I pray for a friend's salvation and freedom from addiction and spiritual bondage. I'm praying for a healthy pregnancy for uh, 
our friends, the Davies and the Berglunds. The Davies actually, I sent this in on Thursday morning and the Davies had their baby on Thursday and everything was healthy. So like on my prayer grid, I'll check that off and won't be praying for that. It's always nice when God answers a prayer on your prayer grid, check it off uh, for the Morgans as you have a crazy boss. Uh, I didn't know that you were going to be here today. So these are our, uh, <laughs> our friends, Chris and Meg, who are going to be part of what we're doing over in Charlestown. I pray for him every day as he's in a really tough situation at work. And I'm praying that God would give him grace and also just work on his boss's heart in a powerful way so that they're in the same step. Uh, I'm praying for we take vacation after next week for a safe, restful productive vacation. For impact and kingdom growth and for the church, I pray for opportunities to share the gospel. I'm praying for the salvation and baptism of at least three friends from Charlestown. I'm praying for a church of 340 at year five. Every time I pray for that, I remember the first time I shared that in Boston was with Josh and Kevin and Andrew and Rachel. And, and Andrew goes, only God could do that. He's like, that's crazy. That's crazy. And I was like, well, then that sounds like that's something that we need to be asking God for. I pray that we baptize 340 people in Charlestown by year 10. That's absolutely bonkers. But man, why not ask God to do some of that? Why not come to him every day with that? I'm praying for church plants in Chelsea, the North End, Everett, for small groups in the Navy Yard and Assembly Row in Wellington. I'm praying for the salvation of our mayor every single day for the head of our uh, neighborhood council in Charlestown, for our uh, state rep, for the people running for city council, all of them. I'm praying that Boston becomes known as a city with Christian leaders and leadership. Man, we're known right now for 100,000 things. It's a fantastic city. What if our city became known because we have believers who are leading it and everybody didn't have to be a Christian to be in leadership, but what if Christians were a significant portion of our leadership in this city? And I'm praying for our meeting this Wednesday. I'm also praying for facilities for CRC every single day that God gives Charles River Church a space. Practically, financially, uh, I pray for very specific things. I know the hour's getting late, so I won't go over there, those. And then that other, I'm praying for a friend who's praying about moving overseas. I'm praying for another friend who's in Myanmar on a mission trip for his safety. And, uh, and this is my grid. And I want to encourage you to do two things. One, I want you to do this for one month. That's the ask, all right? So that's the homework. They're all just telling you one week. I'm going to ask you to do something for one month. For one month, and I want you to do... Pray long-range long prayers, short-range prayers, prayers, huge prayers, small prayers. Pray stuff that we'll have to do. Pray things that God only can do. And as best you can, align your prayers with Scripture. Pray it every day if you can. Give yourself grace if you don't. I want you to do two things. One, uh, watch the pattern. Like I want to encourage us to pray through a pattern of prayer like this. Very disciplined. So much of my life I would just pray in the car when I was stuck in traffic. But my mind's wandering. You know what I mean? Or I'll just kind of pray like in between something. I want to encourage you to set aside some time to pray. To go through my whole grid takes about 10 minutes every day. It's the best 10 minutes I spend every day. It's the best, most powerful thing that I do in the course of a day. So I want to encourage you to pray through that pattern. And then I want to encourage you to take a posture of prayer. And this is kind of the big ask a little bit. Every day for the first time in my life, since I was a little kid with my granddad, every day I get down on my knees and I pray to Jesus out loud. 
And there'll be times that my kids walk in and I have to stop. And I know they think I'm weird because I'm praying to the chair in the bedroom to them. Or Natalie will wake up some mornings and I'll be sitting there on my knees uh, praying. And, uh, and I know like it has, to, it has to be like you almost feel like you're intruding. She feels like she's intruding. That's okay. I want to encourage you to get into a posture of prayer. Something that's a little out of the ordinary will help you focus. And I want to encourage you to pray out loud which may feel weird. There's moments where my feelings say, this is weird. I'm going to persevere in prayer. So the pattern of prayer and the posture of prayer. And I want to ask you, what would your list look like? William Carey said, attempt great things for God, but expect great things of God. Man, I want us to do attempt great things for God, but even more, I think we need to expect and ask great things of God. What would that look like if we did that? Like, what would our homes look like if for one month, what will it look like in a month if we're all praying through that grid? What will your finances look like if you're aligning your finances with God's heart for one month? What would our, uh, what would our small groups look like? What would this church be like if for one month, a hundred people are praying through some things in agreement boldly? Man, I can tell you a year ago, I think it was a year ago, People were coming to Jesus left and right because for a year the church was praying over and over and over for people to come to know Christ. Was that a year ago? And, and right now the prayer theme for this year is facilities. And I think God's saying, wait, 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 but God's answering. And we're all praying for that, hopefully. And God, is, his heart is going to move at the right time. He knows what he's doing. Even macro level, what would Boston look like if we're all praying some things for our mayor and our leadership and for our city, for our schools? our places of work, what would the world look like if we began to pray through, getting in a pattern and a posture of prayer? And Christian, I want to encourage you to do it. Pre-Christian, I want to encourage you to do it. I want to encourage you at the top of your list, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to write on there, God, reveal your heart to me, help you understand how much you love me and how great a price you paid for me in Christ to receive that love. And God, bend my heart towards yours. That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you've been honored by your word as we transition to receiving communion and giving and um, singing. I pray that the word's fallen on good soil and we'll be responsive. I pray even more that we would go out for a month and would pray through a pattern of prayer and see you move not because of us and we're getting the words right or the formula right, but because you're good and because you love us and you're a loving heavenly father and not an unrighteous judge. Uh, and God, I pray, that, um, I pray that we would come not as widows and orphans, but as co-heirs with Jesus, children of the King, temple of the Spirit, free to come boldly. Lord, help us be transformed by your word. And then I pray that our lives and our church and our communities will be transformed by prayer and by the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.